I'm always amazed when I come up to the pulpit in, at 9 o'clock and the sanctuary is empty. And then when I come up to preach, it's full. I mean, it's just, it's this transformation that occurs. I think it has a lot to do with our ability to arise in the morning and get here. I identify with that, so um, I'm grateful. A couple of things before we read the scripture this morning. I cannot come to this place and join you on Sunday morning that I don't have sort of a deja vu all over again. I am always aware of where you are in this whole process of being church. Because I've been through some of this and have experienced some of the things that you're experiencing. Um, I'm thinking, I remember that first summer in the building after working so hard to get there. And I remember thinking, I don't want to do the work to get ready for the fall. It was just so hard to get here. And how God took all that and shaped it and fashioned it and built something of a story that we couldn't have written ourselves. And he's doing that with you. And it's an awful lot of fun to watch that happen. And so I like to seize the opportunity just to say, as somebody who's kind of walked through this path, When it gets hard, and you know, church life is messy and hard, and it sort of gets easier, and then it gets harder, and wherever that is for you, God is forming something far bigger than you know. God is really at work doing something far more than you can see. So our need is just to trust, but not trust blindly, but trust in a God who created everything out of nothing. So surely, where he's taking you and what he's building and what he's growing is more than you can imagine, better than you can think, and filled with goodness you cannot even describe. So I offer you those words. Here in the doldrums of summer, first summer in the building, ready to launch into the first full season of being this new church and watch it grow and watch it develop. From my perspective... It's an amazing gift to see it occur. I hope it is that for you. Second thing is I need to make an announcement. If if you're a person here who doesn't like ice cream, you're really odd. But you're talking to someone who's addicted to it. And after worship this morning, I want to ask you to, um, to do a little ministry with the kids in the church. I want to invite you to the community room for about 15 or 20 minutes. And I want to ask you to engage with something the children are doing. Now, one of the ways we're community together is we literally engage multi-generational. And here's a way we can do that. So I want to invite you, no, I want to ask you to not rush out, but to take some time Head to the community room, engage with the kids as they have designed a process to help you see their memorization of scripture and allow you to engage with it in a fun way. Don't scurry out. Affirm them in what they're doing. Affirm the leaders who work with them. And there's there's a little bit of a bait. There's ice cream at the end. So stay for the ice cream. Enjoy the fellowship. And be a part. 
It's the nature of being the people of Community West, and I invite you into that. Our scripture lesson this morning is from the third chapter of Acts. As you know, uh, the theme of epic is being looked at through the story of God's people being displayed in Acts. And so I invite you to hear the reading of God's word. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel. Why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you you denied the holy and righteous one. And ask for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect help in the presence of you all. And now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that 
every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. It's a great story, but what is this really all about? You're in the midst of thinking about being a part of God's great epic story, the great story that God has been, is, and will do to fullness and completion. All of that really means, I think, that we want to be a part of something big and something that's exciting. And what we really mean when we say things like that is we actually want to be people who live a life that makes a difference in the world. Come on, let's face it. You don't want to reach the end of your life and look back and say, for what? You want to reach the end and say, I did all I could and gave all that I had to the glory of him who loved me. You want to be able to look back and see the places and the times and the seasons and the moments and the incidences and the emotions and the spirit of of the whole of life where you can sense that you were a part in some way of what God is doing in the world. You see, friends, we need to remember the big story. And you're going to keep hearing it over and over again. That from the point of creation to the coming of Jesus, God has been at work to redeem and to restore all that he created. Because you see, God created everything out of nothing and he created it in absolute perfection. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no disease, there was no angst, there was no fear, there was no anger, there was only life as God creates it to be. But he also created us free, truly free. When the God who creates everything creates, he could have created us to be his robots, So that we had no choice but to come and worship him. But one of the things that Genesis makes clear is that God is a relational God. And that theme runs all the way through scripture from Genesis to Revelation. God is not a dictatorial God who makes it the way he can have it so that it gets to where he wants it to be without any engagement of what he created. And so he created us free. And unfortunately... We rebelled. We wanted our own way. We wanted to do our own thing. We believed the deception. 
we believed the lies and we went a different way. But God, from before we were, knew, planned, and carried out a perfect plan where all things would move where he wanted them to be and that there would be provision for even our ugliest life in the restoration through Jesus Christ. To fulfill his plan, the Lord gave us his son, his only son. He formed and shaped a people to come into existence. And from his people, he would birth that which was his, uniquely his, his own son, Jesus Christ, who would be born to live, teaching us how to live, but more than that, to be the atonement, the price, the one who would do what no one else could do in a way no one else could do it and offer himself in pure love for your sin, for my sin, for our rebellion, for all that we have brought into the world that is ugly and painful and wrong. Jesus died. But God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. He did not resuscitate his body. He brought him into new life, changed, transformed, to be the one who would sit at the right hand of God for all eternity. And Jesus rules and reigns there as God carries forth his plan, his epic story. But you see, Jesus didn't leave us there. It's interesting to me that Jesus would make the statement that it's better for him to leave us than to stay with us because if he leaves, we will do greater things than he has done. Now, come on. Is there anything greater to be done than what Jesus has done? The answer is yes. We are the ones in whom he has invested a power to carry out his mission and to bring to completion his epic story. That's right. You see, Community West is not a body of people to live together, to have fun together, to enjoy life together, but it is a body of people whom God has formed together and called together for the purpose of being on mission for him to carry out and to complete his epic story. Wow. That's the big story. But we live our lives, don't we? Individually, together, as groups. And until that time when Jesus returns and restores all things back to the way it was created in a whole new world and transforms all that is, then we continue to live in our stories, seeking to connect ourselves and to be connected with him who carries out the epic story. Acts 3, it's starting to happen. These motley disciples are empowered. Things start occurring. You see, the king has come. Jesus has come. And we're now living to build out the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives. Old news. 
But the big news is we are the ones to build his kingdom. For he is doing it through us. He has sent us with the full empowerment of the Holy Spirit to move forth and to establish and build and extend and bring into reality in places where it does not exist the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 3 shows the disciples moving out. Doug Stewart, Old Testament professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, is always prone to say when he talks about Acts that we Christians need to remember that Acts is not a prescriptive book, but it is in fact a descriptive book. It's not saying go do this thing and go do this thing and go do this thing. It is saying look and behold at what God is doing and what you are to be a part of and to engage with as the people of God. The disciples Receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm actually very shocked at them. Given their personalities and their stories, I don't understand why they didn't just stay and enjoy it. You know, they could have. They could have relished the fact that Jesus had called them. That Jesus has now empowered them And here, 30 minutes after Pentecost, they know more about Jesus than they ever learned in three years of walking with him. And they could have just stayed. They could have stayed and sung their songs as we would, count our blessings, name them one by one. They could have stayed put. They could have drawn themselves tightly into a a homogeneous group, cherishing all the things that God had given to them and done for them. But the disciples knew more of Jesus now. And they understood in ways they had never understood. And they too wanted to be a part of that thing God was doing and is doing in the world. And in Acts 3, the disciples begin to to move out. Oh, they didn't make a program. They didn't design a church program and recruit the volunteers for it. What happened? Jesus ruled and reigned over their lives. And in that moment and that place, the kingdom of God exists. And when you are in the kingdom of God, all you can do is follow the one who is king. Because he's changed your life. And for Peter and John, there was now a faith in the name of Jesus that had not existed before. For now, their faith wasn't a belief in the possibility. Now their faith was a belief fully and completely that gave themselves to the one who ruled over them. And off they went. You know, we often talk about the kingdom of God in the church. But I'm convinced we have very little understanding of what it really is. We think of the kingdom of God as as something geographical or or something that has borders to it or an organization or an institution that we're building. The kingdom of God exists where Jesus is Lord. And so it may be there, but not here. It may be in that area, but not in this area. It may be in that person, but not this person. It is where Jesus rules and reigns. And so, friends, 
The question quickly becomes, is the kingdom of God where you are? Does Jesus rule and reign over your life and your space? For if he does, the kingdom is there. If he doesn't, it has not yet come. For John and for Peter, the kingdom has broken forth in a way that is so expansive and so explosive that they simply have to get going. They have to move out. They have to do this thing. This thing? Simply live under the reign of Jesus. It takes them to the temple, down the path, toward the beautiful gate, the eastern gate, the golden gate. And there is a man who has been carried there every day of his adult life. And probably before. He's a cripple. It's not a derogatory term. In scripture it's actually a technical term. You see for reasons that we don't have the detail on. But we know the language points to. This man cannot stand. He cannot walk. But he can't do it because of an injury or an illness or a disease. He never could. He has from birth been this way. He has never known what it was to stand on his own two feet. To walk to that side of the room. Let alone run to meet a friend. He's never experienced that. He only knows death. Because you see, begging is death. It always is. It always is. Begging is death because it acknowledges that there is no life in which one can engage with or participate in unless somebody just out of mere generosity wants to give me something that will allow me to experience something. It is a reflection of the brokenness in the world. And here he is brought to collect enough to survive, but barely. And so he's carried to this place. And he looks down the path and beggars have this extra sense. You've experienced it. I've experienced it. They can somehow zero in on people and they know who's going to help them. They know who's going to put some jingle in their can. And they focus clearly on them. And this beggar catches the sight of Peter and John and senses they're going to help him. And Peter responds, look at me. Well, that was kind of rude. No. What's a beggar doing? A beggar's putting his can out, looking to the next person while he's holding his hand or receptacle here. He's not looking at the one who's going to give. He's looking at the one who's yet to give. And Peter turns him around and he says, look at me. Focus. I want your attention. I don't want anything else in your focus now. And the beggar looks at him. And then he says, Words that have been quoted and written about and words that are in songs, old gospel songs and modern day praise songs. Silver and gold I do not have. But what I have, I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
Get up and walk. Rise and walk. But not enough in just words. He walks to him and he takes his hand and he lifts him up. Pulls him up. Gets him up. Why? He had no reason to think he could stand. And suddenly he's on his feet. Suddenly he stands. An experience he's never known. But not only does he stand, he can walk. That is biblical language for now he can live. Now he can have life. He can move out of death through the faith of two disciples in the name of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't go calmly. Thanks be to God. He is jumping, Scripture says. He's bouncing around. Can you imagine what people thought when they've seen this man who grew up in the beautiful gate begging, suddenly, lolly, 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 running through the temple of God, showing everyone that he can walk and run and bounce and dance and do all of the things they can do. He was dead, but he is alive. He was dead, but he is alive. The disciples, Peter and John, have received the Holy Spirit. They move out in power in that spirit, and a lame man walks. You see, my friends, it's descriptive. The kingdom of God happened, showed up, and was present. And a lame man walked. It's amazing. They go forward with their life, but they have a power given to them that is beyond anything that they've known. They connect their lives in that moment with the great story of God. Not by working at it, but by living under the rule and the reign of God. And so the question becomes for you and me in this place. You want to be connected to God's epic story? You want to be a part of something that is not routine and ordinary? You want to come to the end of your life and know that you have given all that you can to him who has created you? then it is living under the rule and the reign of God over your life and over your space. For in that place, moment, and time, you are connected to the great epic story of God. We'll go deeper with me. Look at what they did that connected them to God's story. As they moved out in mission, they gave what they had. There's a, there's a principle here that the church needs to remember because so often we're called to be the people of God and we think, oh, I can't do that. I don't have this. I don't have that ability. Oh my goodness, how will we ever pay for that? We can't get enough people to do this. Oh, you know the list better than I do. It goes on. But the principle shown here is you can only give away 
what is truly yours. Peter says, silver and gold I don't have. It's true. The disciples were basically poor. Silver and gold they don't have. But he said, I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. You see, friends, it is for us to beg the question within ourselves, what do we have? Do we hold the power of the kingdom of God in the presence of where we are? Do we hold him, know him, and claim him in a Pentecostal faith where we believe in a way in the name of Jesus that there is a power present that transforms lives, including our own? What do you have? What do you have that you can give to the world around you? Peter and John are asking by showing us what they were given. Silver and gold, no. But a power that said to a lame man, walk. In the brokenness of our world, in the darkness that reigns around us, in the pain and the suffering that we see. Dare we try to give what we don't have and deny to give what we do have? Friends, the kingdom of God exists where Jesus is Lord, where Jesus truly rules and reigns over our lives. And Peter and John have now experienced Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit confirms in their minds and their hearts a faith in Jesus that they have not had yet. So let's be clear. In this story, Peter and John do not perform a miracle. Okay, argument's on. No, they don't. They do not. God performs a miracle. In the reigning and ruling of God in the presence of his kingdom, this is where God made his statement and display of the presence of that kingdom and he took a crippled man and he gave him bones together that had hinges that worked and he could stand and he could walk and now he's running through the temple so what did these two disciples bring they brought healing we focus on the physical healing of a crippled man. That's where we get to the, to the end of the sentence. We put a dot, a period right there at the end. He was healed physically. He was. But the disciples brought much more in fact. They brought healing to a man's life. They took a man from death and gave him life. His life was healed, not just his body. For now he can move, he can have relationship with human beings, he can create for himself a life, a living, an existence. He no longer has to beg, he's healed. Do we not see the sickness, the brokenness and the lostness of the world around us? Do we not see how it is dying before our very eyes for the want of the truth of the Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Is that what we have? Is that what we can give? They brought healing. I want to ask you, who on the street where you live is dying? Does the kingdom of God 
rule and dwell over and in you, then there is a power for life. It is your call to share it, to show it, to depict it, to make it plain in earthly service. And let the name of Jesus perform the miracle of his own design. But they also brought joy. I love this story. I love this story not because it's a miracle story, but because I can in my mind see the face of this man. I can see this man's face. His grin is so big. He has surpassed what would be described as happiness to the depth of a joy that we can't put into words. The disciples in faith heal a crippled man and they give him a joy that he could never have known or had. And what happens? He's running through the temple. Now, I just weeks ago walked the grounds of that ancient temple. And I can imagine someone running through there and the commotion it would create when someone comes running who was crippled, singing, hallelujah, hallelujah, I can walk, I can run, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's a joy that isn't common. It's a joy that's not happiness. It's a joy that has the depth of life that changes who you are. That in the hardest of circumstances, in the darkest of moments, in the ugliest moments of the world, there is still joy. Joy. And the disciples brought this. That overcame the depression and the physical impairment of a man. Well, I know some great theologians, but one of the best of them's name is Irma Bombeck. Oh, some of you don't even remember Irma Bombeck. I realize that. But Irma Bombeck used to be pretty regular in church. And one Sunday she was in church and she wrote this story about watching a mother severely correct her child in what she described as a very ugly way and an unnecessary way. And as she reflected on it later in an article, she said, you know, some people come to church looking like their deceased rich aunt just left everything to their pet hamster, to her pet hamster. He said, she said, in contrast to the spirit filled church that overflows with joy. Think about it. If you will simply think about the demographics of the world in the West, Rich, West End of Richmond where you live, there is in fact discouragement and a negative life that rules and reigns that is caught in a materialism that cannot be satisfied. And here in the kingdom of God, you have joy to bring. So it was for the disciples. And it sent a man running through the temple. And I would suggest to you that the third thing they brought was actually wonder. Life in the Jewish temple was pretty dull. There wasn't much excitement. It was liturgy exponential. 
It was doing what had to be done and getting it done and moving on. Not a lot of joy. Hoping for a sense of peace. Often leaving without it. But it was done. And here there is a sense of wonder. How the heck did that happen? How in the world did that man from the beautiful gate get healed? Only in one who is totally greater than everything they know. Who can do as the text goes on to say... Only because he is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the one who rules and reigns over all that is, only then. So when we come in this space that to me is so peaceful, so gorgeous, do we come in routinely? Ah, it's good to be here. Yes, nice to see you. Ah, this is great. Nice place to be. Or do you feel your heart flipping just a little bit with a sense of awe and wonder that the God of that cross in front of you loved you enough to redeem you and call you together in his kingdom? I want to leave you with a story from a mission trip to Haiti. If you're following the news Haiti right now is one of those spots on our globe that is pretty close to being hell on earth. I know a lot of people there. I talk to them on the telephone. Fear at a level that I cannot imagine. A horrible place. And yet, the kingdom of God is there. For the saints who live under the rule and reign of Jesus. One of those saints was Father Albert, we would say Father Albert. Born in Haiti, lived in Haiti, answered a call to enter the ministry in the Episcopal priesthood, never married, served Jesus his entire life, and it was a privilege to know him and sit at his feet. I remember meeting him at the airport in Richmond, he had never flown on an airplane or seen an American city. And he kept stopping and just looking. Jenny took him to the grocery store with her and he just stood in the front and looked. Amazed. But he loved Jesus. And friends, the kingdom of God just followed him around. Father Albert lived in a particular place in a small, little, tiny, self-built house. And he took care of his mother there. And his church would gather 30 or so people every Sunday morning. And he would preach the gospel and they would sing hymns. Hymns that you and I know and some we don't know. And they would sing them with that Haitian vibrance and energy. And right next door was the witch doctor who when church would begin, would go into his front yard and take out his big drum, which wasn't tuned to anything except to make noise, and he would begin to beat it as loud as he could. He would do everything he could to disrupt worship. And for ages this went on. The day came when the witch doctor's mother got very ill and kept getting sicker. 
Father Albert went over because he was also the chaplain for Hapital Saint-Croix in Léagon. And he would move through those rooms and pray and love and wipe people's brows and provide them food and do all of the things that they needed done. What a man of God. And so the Christians would worship and the witch doctor would beat his drums. His mother would get sicker. They would worship. She would get sicker. It all just kept going downhill. And Father Albert went over five times and said to the witch doctor, let me take your mother to Hapital St. Croix. No, the spirits will heal her. And sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker she got. And finally he got scared. And when Father Albert came, as he did on the same day of the week, and asked, can I take her to the hospital? He said, okay. Close to death, he put her in the back of his little pickup truck and drove her to the hospital. There was an American mission group, which I happened to be a part. Ann Good, who's a member of your congregation, was also around one of the powerhouses in my congregation for mission. Which doctor's mother comes in and they go to work on her and she lived. She lived. Power of medicine? I think so. But I would say the power of the kingdom of God. She went home. She went back to her son's house. And two Sundays later, when worship was going on, and Father Albert's congregation was singing hymns, they looked up, and here comes the witch doctor with his mother, and they sit down. Did he become a believer? I really do not know. But I know this. He had displayed before his very eyes the kingdom of God. And in that moment, in that moment, in a small way, the story of a small group of people, very poor, very ordinary, was in direct connection with the epic story of God. Why? Because they lived in the kingdom of God. With all my being, I believe Community West is called to build the kingdom of God. You, we are not here just for our own enjoyment and blessing and benefit to name one by one. So I charge you and challenge you. Does Jesus rule over your life and your space? Who and where will the story of your life be connected to the epic story of God? Silver and gold I don't have. But what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth. To you. Go forth.
Let us pray. Almighty and ever-blessed God, we seek to be your people, but we fumble it and fail. But Lord, you do rule and reign. And it's not up to us that you rule and reign. But Lord, it is up to us to release ourselves to you. So receive us, we pray. Stir within this congregation and the life of these people that your kingdom may be visible to the world and may it receive healing, may it receive joy, and may it be filled with wonder. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.